<laughs> Good morning. Happy birthday, Real Hope. Those of you in the room, those of you joining us online, uh, it's amazing. Here we are, four years in. I remember um, in the year or so before we launched, when we uh, felt the Lord lead us to start a new church, I, I thought a lot about, you know, what's this church going to be like? You know, I didn't know who would be a part of it, you know, what we would do, what our personality personality would be as a church, you know, where would God take us, what are the kinds of things that we would be involved in. And reflecting on the last four years, it is astonishing to think about all God has done, the lives that have been changed, uh, the people who have been served and provided for here and around the world, the spiritual growth that has happened, the friendships that have been forged. Real hope you have given of yourselves so much. Your time, your energy, your financial gifts, your prayers. And I want to thank you so much for all you've done to make Real Hope the church family that we are. I'm so glad that my kids get to grow up in a church like this, surrounded with people like you. And of course, we know where the ultimate credit goes. I can't say it better than Paul said it in Ephesians 3 when he said to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And now, in the next several months, we turn the page to a new chapter in our church's history. We move into our permanent home, and I know in the next four years, God will do immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine in this moment. And so I'm so glad we'll get to experience that together. So, shall we turn to God's Word now and see what He has to say to us? I want to start off actually with some song lyrics that you may recognize. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead, and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. Anybody know what movie that's from? Toy Story, of course, everybody knows. Toy Story, great movie, great song. I think the reason that uh, Toy Story, that franchise, has resonated so deeply with audiences is because those movies really are about friendship, signaled, of course, by those lyrics of Randy Newman's song, which he sang with that very distinctive and playful voice over the opening credits. Uh, I see some of you kids here in the room. Maybe some of you kids are at home watching online. Uh, I want to give you a little homework to do. If you've got those crayons on the table, draw a picture of something you and your friends would do for fun. It could be one friend, it could be a group of friends, but if you could pick one thing to do that would be super fun, what would it be? Draw a picture of it. Maybe you can share that with your family later on. Friendships are powerful because they are among the most meaningful relationships that we choose. We have many meaningful relationships in our lives, family members, co-workers, classmates, neighbors, but most of them we don't choose or we don't design. We don't choose our grandparents, our parents, our siblings. Parents may have wanted to have children, but they don't get to choose exactly what their children are like. Typically we don't choose our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, but there are some relationships that truly are chosen. Marriages, of course, are chosen. Adopted children are chosen. And, of course, friendships. Friendships, though, I think are in a special category because they're chosen and there's no family connection to reinforce it. 
It's a relationship rooted solely in who that other person is. C.S. Lewis famously said that the foundational thought at the very beginning of a friendship is you too. Friendship starts off like that, with a like-mindedness, sharing something in common. It can be a shared perspective on life. It can be shared interests, a similar personality. Maybe you're in the same stage of life as somebody. Common sense of humor. That's only the beginning. Now, friendships may spark spontaneously, but they must be intentionally <coughs> shaped into something more than that. A friendship will not last long on autopilot. Like everything good we experience... Friends are a gift from God, and God has told us in his word how we should think about friendships. Now the trouble is, our cultural notions of friendships are out of alignment with God's design. In some ways, this misalignment is subtle, and we don't realize it. And in some ways, it's pretty obvious, like the way Facebook has diluted the meaning of the word friend to mean something so broad that it includes people we barely know. What a tragic irony that we live in a world where people can accumulate friends with a click of a button and at the same time experience epidemic levels of loneliness, as psychologists have warned we are experiencing. And sometimes uh, we go through seasons of life where friendships become more difficult. Of course, we're walking through a pandemic now, so uh, you know maintaining friendships right now is especially difficult. Also, there are just seasons of life where you maybe age into another season of life where friendships are a little harder to maintain than they were before. So how should we think about friendships in a world that thinks differently about friendships than God thinks about them and and against the backdrop of all kinds of challenges? How should we think about friendships, these meaningful, chosen relationships? As with everything, Scripture is our guide. Scripture is the lamp for our feet. And so let's turn to Proverbs, as we've been doing in this series, and discover God's vision and his wisdom for friendships. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12. Proverbs is in the Old Testament. It is after the book of Psalms. We're going to start in chapter 12. Uh, We'll move around a little bit in that book, uh, but that's where we're going to start off. Um, With Proverbs as our jumping off point, we're going to discover five biblical principles of friendship. And And so we kind of looked at the whole book of Proverbs and really scripture as a whole on the subject of friendship. And these are kind of five ideas that seem to rise to the surface. And so I want to explore those with you today. So I'm going to give you the first principle here right off the bat. Friends should be chosen carefully. Friends should be chosen carefully. Proverbs 12, 26 puts it this way. The righteous choose their friends carefully but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So it says the righteous, that's biblical speak for those in relationship with God, those who are seeking to honor God with their lives. People like that choose their friends carefully. Now the word choose in the original Hebrew of Proverbs doesn't mean just like casually making a choice. It it, it, it has the connotation of searching diligently for something, spying out for something. So a wise person, Proverbs is telling us, is diligent and searches carefully for their friends. If you choose the wrong friends, you can be led down paths that will take you away from God and his purpose for your life. Now, it's important. We've got to be careful here. This is not to say 
You should only seek out friendships with people who are like you or share your worldview on everything. I mean, the gospel calls us to build friendships with people who are very different from us. I mean, this is part of being Jesus' ambassadors to the world. You're not meant, we are not called to construct some airtight echo chamber where all of our friends are people exactly like us. That is not the call. But what this proverb has in mind is close friends, the closest friends in your life, people who you are going to let into your world and who are going to really influence you, your inner circle. We could read the verse, the righteous choose their close friends carefully, their inner circle carefully, the kinds of people that you're going to listen to when life is hard, when you're in a season of struggle or confusion. Scripture teaches us to be careful about who those people are. Another proverb illustrates how this works. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So this is just an example of how this works, of why it's so important to choose our close friends carefully. This proverb is... Again, just one example is, is a hot-tempered person, someone easily angered. Um, this is not someone who just gets angry occasionally. We all get angry. Like, that's a normal part of life. This is a person in the Hebrew language here, literally a possessor of anger. Someone who is defined by their anger, who indulges their anger, who nurtures their outrage, their indignation, their cynicism. It's a defining feature of their life. This proverb is warning don't become a close friend with a person like that because their mindset's going to rub off on you. You may learn their ways and become entangled. And you could substitute anything in this proverb, any undesirable or ungodly quality. You could substitute it for anger. So don't make close friends with someone whose defining characteristics are you know, cruelty, making fun of people, gossiping, foolishness. Judgmentalism, arrogance, self-centeredness, some form of immorality. The Proverbs are warning us that our, close, our closest friends have a big influence on us. And so if someone's life is defined by qualities that will lead us away from God, we would be wise to not regard them as our closest friends. Now look, you can still befriend them on a level. It doesn't mean you shun them from your life. But perhaps they shouldn't be in that inner circle where you're really listening to them for guidance in your life. Now, kids, students, if you're listening, this is really important for you. As you're getting older, you are uh, learning more about the world, you're interacting with a wider and wider pool of people, and you are deciding the kind of person you want to be. And what you need to understand is the choices you make in friendships will play a big part in the kind of person you grow into. Think about it on the flip side, too. Are you the kind of person that someone else should trust to let into their inner circle? And, I, you know, ask your parents, ask any adult in your life about their lives when they were growing up, and I bet they'll tell you stories about things they wish they hadn't said or done, regrets that they have, and often it's because they were hanging around with someone who brought out the worst in them. Or... They may tell you stories of how they brought out the worst in others. We have to be careful about our close friends, our inner circle. And not just to avoid trouble, this leads to the second principle. Friends refine each other. 
There is so much to be gained by having the right people in your inner circle, close group of friends. Because friends refine each other. Look at what it says in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Hang around with wise people and you'll grow in wisdom. Friends have the ability to refine each other, to help each other mature, to help each other make good choices. And on the other hand, if you find yourself in the company of fools, watch out. You will grow in foolishness. Walk with the wise and become wise. Be wise, and others who walk with you will grow in wisdom. You see, your character is affected by the company you keep. And you affect the character of those who invite you into their world. Another proverb, this one's pretty well known, conveys this same idea. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is the image of a sword, a blade, being sharpened by another piece of metal. Technically, it's not being sharpened like the metal is being removed. This is referring to a process where a blade has been curled over or bent or blunted in some way, and this other piece of metal is straightening it back out. That's the image, and that's what Proverbs is telling us. Close friends can do that for each other, straighten each other out. Refine each other. Help each other better resemble the person God has made us to be. So maybe in your life, a good friend recently has suggested something to you. Maybe something that you could or should change about yourself, and maybe you just blew it off. But they may have a point. Perhaps you do need to make a change. Or maybe you have a close friend who needs to be sharpened, straightened out in some areas of their life. And God may want to use you to do that sharpening, that straightening out. And that leads us to the third key point. Friends are trusted truth-tellers. Friends are trusted truth-tellers. This is part of that mutual refinement process of good friends. Look how it's described in Proverbs 27 and 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, a good friend wants what's best for you. Which means at some point they will wound you, as the Proverbs uh, put it, with the truth. The Hebrew language here of, of wounding was often used of bruises in the ancient world. So a healthy friendship will come with some bruises in the sense that someone's going to love you enough to tell you the truth, and perhaps have some hard and necessary conversations. So if a friend has a conversation like that with you, it may not be easy, but according to what this is saying, it's actually evidence that they really are a friend. Our tendency when confronted, even by a friend, is just to be irritated. Like, how dare you? The Proverbs is telling us we should respond actually in the opposite way by seeing that as a very valuable aspect of the friendship. And on the flip side, you might need to have a conversation with a friend that's difficult but in their best interest. The Proverbs says an enemy multiplies kisses. That, that is a metaphor for artificial concern. Someone seems caring 
but does it actually demonstrate real concern? Someone who is always telling you what you want to hear, never challenges you to grow, is not really your friend, according to the Proverbs. Not a close friend, at least. See, hard conversations coming from a friend are to be trusted. Proverbs 27.9 gets at the same idea. Look at this. It says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Advice, wisdom, counsel, even hard conversations given from a genuine heart. This is one of the best features of a friendship. And, and this image of perfume and incense, you may read that and be like, oh, perfume doesn't warm my heart. But think about the ancient world that they're living in. This, the perfume and incense was very expensive. They were living in a world where there were a lot of odors that needed to be covered up, right? They lived in an agricultural society full of livestock. This isn't a world without deodorant, without indoor plumbing. And so in the same way that incense and perfume in the ancient world helped keep odors at bay, the unpleasant aspects of life, a friend who cares enough to give you genuine, sincere advice to speak the truth to you is like a perfume in a challenging and confusing world. Friends are meant to be trusted truth-tellers. You should expect the truth from your friends, and you should be willing to tell the truth to your friends, even if it is difficult to do so. Trusted truth-tellers. All right, number four. Friends are reliably present. Friends are reliably present. You see this all over Scripture. Proverbs 17, 17 says it this way. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times. The focus here is not giving you criteria to evaluate someone else like, hmm, does this person love me all the time? I don't think so. Guess they're not my friend. That's not the purpose of the proverb. The purpose of the proverb is to tell you the kind of friend you are supposed to be. That you are supposed to be someone who, who loves others, who cares for others all the time, especially in hard times. If you are a friend to somebody, you are consistently in their corner. In the proverb, uh, friend and brother are grammatically parallel, which means you can sort of interchange those two. So you could, you could read the second phrase as a friend is born for a time of adversity. When things go wrong. Friends should be able to count on you to be there. Ecclesiastes 4 uh, paints this similar picture, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This is, it's talking about friendship and being there for each other. A friend is not fickle or flaky. A friend can be counted upon to be there through thick and thin. It's not about convenience. It is a commitment. And all of this leads us to the final point, which is really the capstone, the summit of what Scripture has to say about friendship. And it's this. Number five, friends look for what they can give. Friends look for what they can give. And for this, we're going to turn to the New Testament. John chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, flip over there. We're going to highlight a couple of things. Um, this is a remarkable passage we're going to look at. Just a few verses. Um, where Jesus talks about friendship. 
and he has some profound words. John 17, starting in verse 12, he's speaking to his disciples. Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So this is Jesus right before his arrest and crucifixion. He's talking to his disciples about their friendships. And he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And he says, no greater love is there, highlight this if you're taking notes, than to lay down one's life for a friend. So Jesus is defining friendship by what you give. And he says, I have called you friends. Highlight that. Think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, I have called you friends. And how has he befriended us? He elaborates a little bit. He says this. Highlight this. Everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And he was about to lay down his life. He's literally on the doorstep of that. And so Jesus is painting this picture. He has called the disciples and all of us, anybody who follows him, 15, he has called 15, them friends because of what he did. He befriended us. He shared himself. He held nothing back. He initiated the relationship. And he says we can be his friends in return. Look what he says. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now we got to be really careful when you read phrases like that. Because if you look at it in a vacuum, that can sound very merits-driven. Like, okay, if I follow all of Jesus' commandments perfectly, I get the merit badge of friendship, and I get to be Jesus' friend. And who could do that? Well, of course, nobody could do that. And we know salvation, when you, when you zoom out and look at everything Jesus said, it is not about merit. It is about faith in him, a trust in him. That is how we have our standing with the Lord. But that's not what he's saying. Salvation, again, it's not about merit. Following his commands is the visible evidence that you have a relationship with him, that you have a trusting heart. That's how scripture speaks all through the New Testament of following God's commands. That is the result of a relationship, of a heart that's been changed. So Jesus is saying that you're my friends. If your heart has been changed, if you've really entered into that relationship and your life begins to look different, we've entered into this relationship, this friendship. And so it's this perfect picture of friendship right here. Jesus gave everything to befriend us, and we can be his friends in return by trusting in him, following him, engaging in that genuine relationship, and then, of course, our life begins to look different. So these are these five ideas we see all through Scripture about what friendship is. Um, I think when we often think about friendship in our lives— we think about the kinds of friends we want, the kind of friends we have, um, and that's okay, but it is not meant to stop there. You know, we've seen kind of a biblical progression of friendship in Proverbs and in John. It, it does start with finding someone that we like, uh, someone we want to be around, someone who's influenced, we are welcoming into our life. There's an initial connection, which is kind of about us, but it moves very quickly from just about us to a mutuality. And then towards serving the other person, what we do to be a friend to the other person. 
We are there for them. We are reliably present. And it all crescendos to Jesus' definition of friendship, which is about what you can give. So this trajectory in Scripture starts with thinking about ourselves and takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into selflessness. And so to put it as simply as possible, this is like the big idea here, we are meant to focus on the kind of friend you are. Focus on the kind of friend you are. That is the call of Scripture. Scripture, yes, it does teach us to be wise about who we choose as our close friends, but the overwhelming picture of, of a friend in the Bible is not something you have, but something you are. So we can think about this as individuals. If we are a friend to somebody, our focus should be on the kind of friend we are being to them. How are we serving them? How are we praying for them? How do we help them navigate the choppy waters of life? How are we encouraging them to grow spiritually? Now, hopefully they're going to return the favor. But how good a friend they are to us is not meant to be the driving factor. We're meant to be driven by how good of a friend we are to them. Now, some of you may have lots of flourishing friendships where you put them first and you feel them putting you first in return. And if that is true, that is wonderful. That is a gift from God. Praise God for that. But I do think it's important for us to remember that while those friendships are precious gifts from God, your worth does not come from that by the number and quality of friends that you have. Your worth comes from Christ who made you and gave everything for you. And that's just really important to remember because you may enter a season of life in the future where friendships don't come so easily. And if all of your, your sense of worth and value is in the friendships you have, and all of a sudden you're struggling in friendships, that can really cause a lot of pain and confusion. And so it's always important to remember that our value, our worth, comes from Christ. Now, on the other hand, some of you may wish you had a friend. Or better friends. Or you've been hurt uh, very deeply by a friend or, or betrayed. And that is profoundly painful if that has happened. I think we can find some encouragement in what we've read today, if, if that's you. First, that the greatest friendship there is has been extended to you in Christ. He tells you your worth. He tells you that you are worth everything to Him. He gave His very life for you. So, Part of the process is, is to learn to start there and, and ask God to help you rest in that, in, in your relationship with Him. And then focus not on finding a perfect, fully formed friend for yourself. Instead, prayerfully and patiently look for opportunities to be a friend. And God's going to honor that posture. And you'll begin, I believe, to see some unexpected friendships blossom out of some of us haven't been very good friends with somebody else. And we should have been. And if that's you, I would just encourage you not to let that hold you back or get stuck in the guilt of that. There's grace for you if you haven't been the kind of friend that Scripture calls us to be. You can still, with God's help, become the friend that you wish you were. And He can bring you. So we think about friendship as individuals. 
We also need to think about friendship as a church, as a church family. It's important to think communally as the body of Christ. And be mindful of the kind of friend we are to each other, within Real Hope, and then between Real Hope and the community. This, by the way, is why we have phrased three of our family values in this way. We are a friend to people who are far from God. We are a friend to people who are suffering. We are a friend to people who are different from us. This is our way of expressing our desire, that we want to be proactively friends with, with those people around us in our lives, in the community, who might feel left out or feel they don't have a friend or feel they don't belong. Randy Newman's no uh, biblical scholar, uh, but the lyrics of his song at the beginning of Toy Story really do reflect some of what we've seen. You know, sometimes you sort of get lost and, you know, the, the movie comes on and you see the toys and, you know, the music. And you sort of, oh, I love this movie. You just kind of get lost in it. And the lyrics can just sort of go past you. But the lyrics really do talk about a friendship rooted in what you will do for someone else, not what they can do for you. It's not, I've got a friend in you. It's, you've got a friend in me. He says, you've got troubles, I have them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We'll stick together and see it through because you've got a friend in me. It's a declaration of being a friend. And Jesus essentially said that to his disciples and to us. Is you've got a friend in me. I've held nothing back from you. I've given all that I could give for you, including my very life. Now trust in me and enter into this friendship. And we can do that with Jesus. And we can let that vertical relationship with him where we are fully known and fully accepted, we can let that relationship shape our, the horizontal friendships in our life with each other. Where we can know others and accept others, be known and be accepted. We can be sharpeners and truth-tellers. We can be reliably present, focused not on what we can gain, but by what we can give. Focus on the kind of friend that we are. Friend is something you are, according to Scripture, not something that you have. It is something you are. So let's pray and ask God to make us into the types of people who are this kind of friend. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time uh, in your word, and um, we thank you, Jesus, what you said to your disciples, that you call us friends, and you held nothing back. You told us everything there was to know about you, about life, about purpose, about the future, and so you've called us to love others as you've loved us. So let us be this type of friend. Let us view a friend not as something to have or something to acquire, but as something to be. Help us to be those types of people, Lord, that reflect your character. Help us to be the kind of friends we're called to be. Rooted in commitment, rooted in love, rooted in telling the truth being reliably present, refining each other. Open up our hearts and minds to friendships we wouldn't expect. For those of us who feel like we have a lot of friends, and maybe wonder, 
we have enough time for all of them, help us to be available to new friendships that we might not even feel we're looking for. Help us to look for opportunities to be a friend. For those of us who wish we had a friend, or better friends, Lord, would you comfort us, those of us who feel that way? Help us all look for opportunities to be a friend. We thank you for your love. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we're going to sing a song of response as we normally do, and then stick around, especially those of you joining us uh, online. We are going to have a moment to celebrate together our fourth birthday as a church, uh, both here in the room and uh, via the live stream. So uh, it's going to be a fun moment. So stick around after this song for that. Celebrate. Uh, I was reflecting back on, you know, about five years ago, when we were like a year out from launching this church, and I remember thinking about, like, what is this church going to be like? Who's, you know, is anybody actually going to be a part of it? Like, where are we going to go? Where is God going to take us? What's he going to do? And thinking about the last four years since we started, it's really astonishing to think about all that God has done, the lives that have been changed, people who have been served and provided for, uh, here and around the world, the spiritual growth that has happened, the friendships that have been forged. You have given Real Hope so faithfully. You've given of yourself so consistently and sacrificially, of your time, of your energy, uh, your financial gifts, your prayers. And so I want to thank you for all you have done to make us the church family that we are. Um, and I'm just so glad that like my kids get to grow up in a church like this, surrounded by people like you. Um, and so I wanted to thank you for that. But ultimately, we know who gets the credit for all of this. And I can't say it any better than Paul said in Ephesians 3, when Paul said, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can uh, ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so now we are... Uh, stepping into a new season. We are on the doorstep of a new chapter as we move from a portable church to our own permanent space in Rosenberg, which is going to be so exciting uh, here in a handful of months. And I know that four years from now, God will have done immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine right now uh, as we stand uh, here on our fourth birthday. And so I'm so glad I'll be able to uh, experience that with you. We can all share in watching God work for the next four years. Not really now. Okay, let's turn our hearts and minds now uh, to Scripture and see what God has for us. Uh, I'm going to start today's message with some song lyrics. I have a feeling some of you are going to know where they're from. They go like this. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. What movie is that from? Toy Story. Yes. Great song. Great movie. Um, I think those movies, Toy Story movies, have, have resonated so deeply with audiences. Uh, I think the reason is because they're about friendship. And that's signaled right there in the lyrics of Randy Newman's song, which he sings in that really distinctive, playful voice uh, right at the beginning of the movie. I see some kids in the room, and I know there's some kids watching at home. And I see you got some crayons there. Maybe you're coloring a picture. Uh, I wanted to suggest maybe draw a picture of you and your friends, or maybe you and a, a close friend, something fun that you might do. 
Think about like what's the most fun thing you could do with your friends. Maybe draw a picture of that. If you could just design the perfect day with your friends, how would you spend it? Maybe draw a picture of that, and then later on you could share uh, with your family uh, what you drew. Now, friendships are so powerful because they're among the most meaningful relationships that we choose. We have many meaningful relationships in our lives, family members, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, but most of them we don't choose or design. You know, we don't choose our grandparents, we don't choose our parents or our siblings. Parents may have wanted children, but they didn't get to choose exactly what their kids would be like. Typically, we don't choose our coworkers, we don't choose our classmates, we don't choose our neighbors. But there are some relationships that truly are chosen. Marriages, of course, adopted children, and friendships. Friendships, though, I think are in a special category because they are chosen relationships and there's no family connection to reinforce it. It's a relationship rooted solely in who that other person is. C.S. Lewis famously said that the foundational thought at the beginning of any friendship is, you too? Friendship starts off with this like-mindedness, sharing in common something with somebody else. Could be a shared perspective on life, could be shared interests, a similar personality, maybe a similar stage of life, common sense of humor, but that's only the beginning. Friendships may spark spontaneously, but they've got to be intentionally maintained and shaped to become more than that. Friendship doesn't last very long on autopilot. Like everything good we experience in our lives, friendships are a gift from God. And God actually tells us in his word how we should think about friendships. And that's really important because the, the, the trouble we face is that our cultural notions of friendship are out of alignment with God's design. Uh, in some ways, that misalignment is, is subtle. We don't realize it. In other ways, I think it's pretty obvious. For example, the way Facebook, starting in about 2003, began to dilute and redefine the word friend. To where now the word friend is used to include people we barely know. And with a click of a button, it's this tragic irony. We live in a world now with the, with the click of a button, you can accumulate a friend. And at the same time that that has been happening, that redefinition of the word friend, our society has reached epidemic levels of loneliness. This is psychologists are warning us about this right now. Because online connections can never replace real human relationships and interactions. It's also the case that sometimes we just go through a season of life where friendships are hard. I mean, we're, we're in one right now. The pandemic has made maintaining friendships difficult. Sometimes it's not a pandemic, it's just a stage of life thing. You move from a stage of life where friendships came easily to a stage of life where they are not as easily found or maintained. So we have to think about what friendships are and these meaningful chosen relationships. And as with all things, Scripture is our guide. God's Word is the lamp to our feet. And so turn with me to Proverbs uh, as we're doing in this series. And we're going to discover God's vision and His wisdom for friendship. Turn with me to Proverbs. It is in the Old Testament there after the book of Psalms. And uh, this is going to be our jumping off point. Proverbs 12 is where we're going to start. Proverbs 12.
And what we're going to do is, you know, having kind of surveyed all of Proverbs and even looked at the rest of Scripture on the subject of friendship, there seems to be five kind of big ideas that rise to the surface about friendship, biblical notions about, about friendship. And so I want to share those five principles and look at some Scripture and figure out what this means for us as we walk through our own friendships in this life. So here's the first principle. Number one, friends should be chosen carefully. Friends should be chosen carefully. Proverbs 12, 26 is where, where we're going to start with this. It says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now the word righteous, that, uh, that's kind of biblical language for those who are in relationship with God, those who are seeking to honor God with their lives. That sort of person chooses their friends carefully. And the word choose, that's not sort of a casual choice. The, the Hebrew uh, word, the original language of Proverbs, that we translate as choose, was used when you're searching diligently for something, like you're spying out, you're just watching carefully, you're investigating. That's the word. And so it's, this, it's the idea of a wise person diligently searching carefully for their friends. Because if you choose the wrong friends, you can be led down paths that will take you away from God and his purposes for your life. This is really important, though. I want to just kind of pause here for a moment. It is not saying you should only seek out friendships with people who share your whole worldview. The gospel calls us to build friendships with people who don't believe what we believe, who don't share our values. This is part of being Jesus' ambassador to the world. So you're not meant to just construct this like airtight echo chamber where you're only surrounded by people who are just like you. That's not what this proverb is saying. What this proverb has in mind is your closest friends, like your inner circle, the people who are really going to influence your priorities, your values, and who you are. So you translate the verse, the righteous choose their closest friends carefully, your inner circle carefully. It's the kind of people who you're going to listen to when life gets disorienting and painful where you're not sure which way to go, you're walking through a season of hurt. You can't be careless with the, the closest friends that you let into your world. Uh, another proverb illustrates why this is so important. Proverbs 22, 24, 25 says this. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. This is an example of why it's so important to choose your closest friends really carefully. Now, the proverb is, is choosing just one quality. It's talking about a hot-tempered person, easily angered. This is not someone who just gets angry sometimes. Everybody gets angry sometimes. That's not the type of person it's talking about. But in the Hebrew language of this, it literally says a possessor of anger. Do not make friends with a possessor of anger. Someone defined by their anger, who indulges their anger, who nurtures their outrage, their indignation. It's a defining feature of their life. The proverb is warning to not become close friends with a person like that because their mindset will rub off on you. You may learn their ways, it says, and get yourself entangled in that. And you can really substitute any quality in there, in this proverb, that, that, that you want to avoid, an undesirable or ungodly quality, anger is just the example in this proverb. So don't make close friends with someone whose defining characteristic is gossip, 
or cruelty or foolishness or being judgmental or self-centeredness or some form of immorality. The Proverbs, the main point that it's making, it's a warning that our closest friends have a very big influence on us. And so if someone's life is defined by qualities that will lead us away from God, it would be wise not to regard them as our closest of friends. Now look, you can still be friends with them on a level. It's not saying you shun people, but it's saying they may not be the type of person you want in your inner circle that you are going to for counsel as you're making decisions in life. Now, kids, students, this is really important for you. As you're getting older, you're learning more about the world around you, you are interacting with a wider and wider pool of people, and you are deciding the kind of person that you're going to be. And you need to understand the choices you make in friendships now will play a big part in the kind of person you grow into. Also think about it on the flip side of that. Are you the kind of person that someone else should trust to have in their inner circle? Because friendship's a two-way street. You know, ask your parents or any other adult that you're comfortable talking to, ask about their lives when they were growing up. And I promise they will have stories about things they wish they had not said or done, regrets they have, and often it's because they were hanging around with someone who brought out the worst in them. Or they may even have stories of the reverse, where they brought out the worst in somebody else. So we have to be careful about our close friends. But it's not just to avoid trouble. It's because there's so much to be gained by choosing the right close friends. And that leads me to the second point that we see throughout Scripture and the Proverbs is this. Friends refine each other. Friends refine each other. Proverbs 13.20 puts it this way. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Hang around with wise people, you'll grow in wisdom. You see, friends have the ability to refine each other, to help each other mature, to make good choices. On the other hand, if you surround yourself with foolish people, watch out, because you're probably going to grow in foolishness. Walk with the wise and become wise. Be wise, and people who walk with you will grow in wisdom. You see, your character is affected by the company that you keep, and you affect the character of those who invite you into their world. There's another proverb that gets at this idea. This is a very well-known proverb, 27, 17. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The image here is of a sword, of a blade, that um, is being sharpened by another piece of metal. Though it's technically not sharpening it, as in like removing metal, it's taking a, a blade where the edge has been curled over or bent over or blunted in some way, and it's being straightened back out. That's the image. It's straightening out something that has become bent or blunted. This is what close friends can do for each other, what they're meant to do for each other. Refine each other. Help each other better resemble the person God made us to be. So think about your own life. Maybe there's a good friend of yours has recently suggested something that you just blew off. But they may have a point. Perhaps you do need to make a change. Or maybe you have a close friend who needs to be sharpened, who needs to be straightened out in some areas of their life. And God may want to use you as the sharpening iron for that. 
And this leads us to the third key point, number three. Friends are trusted truth-tellers. Friends are trusted truth-tellers. This is part of the mutual refinement process. Proverbs 27.6 puts it this way. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A good friend wants what's best for you. Which means at some point, as a truth-teller, they might wound you a little bit. The Hebrew language there of wound was used of bruises. So a healthy friendship may come with some bumps and bruises. Because that friend will love you enough to have hard and necessary conversations. If a friend has a conversation like that with you, it may not be easy to hear. But you can recognize, if you're embracing a biblical mindset, that that is actually evidence that they're a good friend. Because they care. You see, our tendency is, when we're confronted by a friend or anybody else, we just get irritated and we just, you know, we don't want to hear it. Proverbs is telling us that we should respond in the opposite way. When a close friend, a trusted friend, uh, has a hard conversation with us, we should see that as a valuable aspect of the friendship. That doesn't mean you respond perfectly every time to that, but we should be able to come around to that perspective. On the flip side, you might need to have a conversation with a friend that's difficult, but it's in their best interest. It says here, an enemy multiplies kisses. That is a metaphor for artificial concern. Someone who seems caring, says all the right nice things, but they don't actually show real concern for you. Someone who always tells you what you want to hear, according to the Proverbs, is not really your friend. Hard conversations coming from a friend are to be trusted. Proverbs 27.9 gets at the same idea. This is this. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Advice, wisdom, counsel. Give it from a genuine heart. This is one of the best features of a friendship. Now you may read that and be like, Perfume, that doesn't really bring joy to my heart. I don't know what this is talking about. <laughs> Perfume and incense. We have to think about the ancient world. This was written a long time ago. Perfume and incense in the ancient world was very expensive, and it was a luxury because it covered up odors that were ever-present in the ancient world, an agricultural world where there was livestock everywhere, and this is a world before deodorant and indoor plumbing and things like that. And so... Uh, you know, in the same way that incense and perfume in that ancient world helped to keep those odors at bay, the unpleasant aspects of life, a friend who cares enough to give you genuine, sincere advice is like a perfume in a challenging and confusing world. That's the image here. Friends are meant to be trusted truth-tellers. You should expect the truth from your friends, and you should offer the truth to your friends even if it's difficult to hear from them or to say to them. Number four, friends are reliably present. They're reliably present. Proverbs 17, 17 says it this way, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. 
A friend loves at all times. Now, when we read scripture, often we just kind of look at ourselves and we sort of think of everything from our perspective. And so it's easy to read that phrase, a friend loves at all times, as if it's a criteria we have to evaluate how good another person of a friend they are being to us. But that's not the focus of the proverb. The proverb is telling you how to be a friend. The focus is the kind of friend you are to others. If you call someone your friend, you love them, you care for them all the time, even in, especially in the hard times. If you're a friend to someone, you are consistently in their corner. And in the, this proverb, grammatically, uh, the word friend and brother are parallel, so you can sort of interchange those two words. So you can also say in the second phrase that a friend is born for a time of adversity. When things go wrong, a friend should be able to count on you. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10, puts it this way, same idea. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This is a picture of friendship, of being reliably present. A friend, according to Scripture, is not fickle or flaky. A friend can be counted upon to be there through thick and thin. It's not about convenience. It is about commitment. And this leads us to the final point. And this really is the capstone, the summit of what Scripture has to say on the subject of friendship. Number five, friends look for what they can give. Friends look for what they can give. And for this, we're going to turn to John Chapter 17, we're going to flip over to the New Testament. So if you're taking notes, flip over uh, to John 17. Uh, of course, we'll have it on the screen as well. In John 17, there's this remarkable moment when Jesus talks about friendship with his disciples, the people closest to him. So look what Jesus has to say in John 17, starting in verse 12. He said this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. This is a conversation happening right before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. He's talking to the disciples about their friendships. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love each other as I've loved you. And how did he love them? He, he says it right there. No greater love is there than to highlight this if you're taking notes or underline it. Lay down one's life. There's no greater love of a friend than that. And so Jesus, by saying this on the eve of his own death, he's defining friendship by what you give. And he says this, highlight, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. So how has he befriended them and us, anybody who knows him? He gives an example. He elaborates on how he has uh, initiated this friendship. Look, he says this, highlight, everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And Jesus was about to then go lay down his life. So Jesus is, is painting this picture. He, he has 
called his disciples and anyone who knows him, that includes uh, any Christians today, he calls them friend because of what he did. He has uh, befriended us. He shared himself with us. He held nothing back. He initiated the relationship. And then he says, in return, you can be my friend. Highlight this. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, we have to be really careful when we read statements like that, because that sounds very merit-driven. Like, if you make a list of all Jesus' commands, and you follow them perfectly, you can earn the merit badge of being Jesus' friend. That is not what it is saying. Because when you zoom out and look at everything Jesus said, the rest of the New Testament, salvation, relationship with God, is not based on merit. Salvation is based on a relationship with Jesus. It's trusting Him for salvation. And so that's what he's talking about. He's following his commands are the visible outward evidence of a relationship that exists. So you've trusted Christ. The relationship is there. You begin to follow his commands. Your, your life begins to take a Christ-like shape. And so he's saying your friends, uh, you are my friends if your life looks this way because we are in relationship. And so we're seeing the perfect picture of friendship right here. Jesus gave everything to be our friend. And we can be his friends in return by trusting in him, following him, and engaging in that genuine friendship, that relationship. So we've seen these five ideas. We looked at some examples from Proverbs um, and from John, but there are other places in Scripture that, that support these ideas too. Well, let's think about what all this means now. When we think of friendship, I, we, we often think about the kind of friends we want, the kind of friends we have, and that's okay, but it's not meant to stop there. We've seen kind of a biblical progression with friendships in Proverbs and John. It starts, yes, with finding someone we like, someone we want to be around, someone whose influence we're welcoming into our life. It starts there. There's an initial connection. So it's kind of about us in the beginning, but it moves very quickly to mutuality, right? How we sharpen each other, tell the truth to each other. And then it moves even beyond mutuality towards serving the other person. What we do to be a friend to someone else. We are there for them. We're reliably present. And it all crescendos to Jesus' definition of friendship, which is all about what you can give. So this trajectory of friendship in Scripture starts with thinking about ourselves and takes us deeper and deeper into selflessness. And to sum it all up, to put it as simply as possible, here's the big idea. Focus on the kind of friend you are. That is what Scripture is calling us to do, is to focus on the kind of friend you are to somebody else. Yes, God's Word teaches us to be wise about who we choose as our close friends. But the overwhelming picture in the Bible of a friend is not something you have, but something you are. That's the biblical picture of friendship. You are a friend. We can think about this as individuals. If we are a friend to somebody... Our focus should be on the kind of friend we are being to them. How are we serving them? How are we praying for them? How do we help them navigate the choppy waters of life? How are we encouraging them to grow spiritually? Now, hopefully they're going to return the favor. But how good 
a friend they are to us is not meant to be the driving factor. We are meant to be driven by how good a friend we are to them. Now, some of you have lots of flourishing friendships where you put people first, you are there for them, you are a faithful friend, and, and you feel that they return the favor. And that is wonderful. If that's where you are, praise God for that. That is a gift from the Lord. And while those friendships are precious gifts, it is really important to remember, though, that ultimately your worth and your value does not come from the number of friends that you have. Your worth comes from Christ, who created you, made you who you are, and gave everything for you. And that's important to remember. You, you, you can enjoy those friendships, but there may come a season in life where friendships are not so easy for you anymore, for one reason or another. And if you built your whole sense of worth and identity on the friendships you currently have, what happens when they're not there anymore? So you can thank God for the gift of friendships, but remember, your ultimate value and worth and identity comes from Jesus. On the other hand, some of you may feel that you wish you had a friend, or you wish you had better friendships, or you feel that you've been hurt or betrayed or ghosted from a friend. And if that happens, that is profoundly painful. I do think there's some encouragement to be found in what we've studied today. First, that the greatest friendship of all that anybody could ever want has been extended to you in Christ. And Jesus is the one who tells you your value and your worth. And he proved how much you're worth by giving his life for you. And so that's not the whole story, but that but the start you can start there by asking the Lord to help you rest in that, to rest in your relationship with Christ and the friendship that Jesus has offered. And then, after learning to rest in that, or at least being on the path to resting in that, focus not on finding the perfect, fully formed friend out there, but instead prayerfully and patiently looking for opportunities to be a friend. And God is going to honor that posture, and you'll begin to see, I think, some unexpected friendships blossom. If, you're, if your outlook is, I'm going to look for opportunity. I'm not going to just search for a friend. I'm going to look for an opportunity to be a friend. Now, it's also possible that some of us look back at times in our life, maybe even recently, and maybe you feel that you haven't been a very good friend. You, you haven't been the friend you should have been. And if that's the case for you, um, don't let that hold you back from stepping forward into God's will for your friendships. There's grace for you if you've not been the friend that you should have been. You can still, with God's help, become the friend that you wish you were. And God can lead you through a period of, of restoration and, and reunion with a, a, maybe a friendship that's in tatters. So we can think about this as individuals, but we also, I think it's very important to think about this as a church as a church family, to think communally as the body of Christ and be mindful of the kind of friends we are to each other within our church, within Real Hope, and also friendship between Real Hope and our community. I mean, that's so important. That's actually why three of our five family values are phrased in this way. We are a friend to people who are far from God. We are a friend to people who are suffering. 
We're a friend of people who are different from us. These are things that we hope are true of us now, and we are always aspiring toward as well. We want to keep the focus on proactively being a friend to those people who maybe feel left out or, or feel different from us, or don't feel like they fit in, where they feel like they've been rejected or overlooked. It's part of our calling to be a friend to them. Randy Newman is no biblical scholar, but the lyrics of this song at the beginning of Toy Story really do reflect some of what we've seen. Like, you can kind of let the lyrics just go past you when you're watching that movie. It's like you're, you know, you're seeing the, the movie start and you're kind of focused on what you're watching. But when you kind of pull back from that and look at the lyrics of that song, it's rooted in friendship being something that you will do for someone else. Not what they can do for you. It's not, I've got a friend in you. It's, you've got a friend in me. It's a declaration of being a friend. He says, you've got troubles, I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together, we'll see it through, because you've got a friend in me. And Jesus said to his disciples, essentially, you've got a friend in me. The best friend ever. I held nothing back from you. I gave everything I possibly could for you, including my very life. Now trust me, and in return, enter into this friendship. And that's the invitation. We can all step into that relationship with Christ. And we can let that relationship with Jesus, that vertical relationship, uh, friendship with him, where we are fully known, fully accepted, we can allow that vertical relationship shape the kinds of friends we are horizontally with other people. Where we can know others, and accept others, and be known, and be accepted. We can be sharpeners, and truth-tellers, and reliably present, focused not on what we can gain, but on what we can give. A friend is something you are, according to God's word. Let's pray and ask God to make this true of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have called us friends and that you've held nothing back. You, you told us everything there is to know. You gave your life for us. And you said love others in that way. And so as we think of friendships in our lives, Lord, we want our friendships to be reflective of our relationship with you. And that means being focused on what we can give. Not what we can get. Not focused on what others are doing for us. I just pray that you would change our hearts and minds to align our ideas of friendship with your word. And that we would have life-giving friendships. And that those friendships would be uh, part of your process of refining us and sharpening us and molding us more and more into your image. We confess we can't go through this life alone and grow on our own and figure it all out. Lord, we need your guidance and we need the companionship and wisdom of friends. So Lord, for those listening who have, have lots of friends, I pray that they would be life-giving and that they would flourish with your blessing. But again, 
that ultimately identity and worth and value would flow from you. And for anyone listening who's lonely, wishes they had better friends, God, I pray for your comfort. And I pray you would show them how to be a friend and that friendships would grow out of that heart posture. And if we've made mistakes as friends, Lord, forgive us. Help us experience your grace in that and help us to step forward with a new perspective and to find rich ways to be a friend to people we encounter in our lives. Thank you in advance for the work you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.